It's a cool waterfall thing. Shut up. Where did it go? Dried up. It's been getting hotter. Maybe the glacier melted. This planet sucks. It's not a big deal. You could go somewhere else. No, I had it all planned. On what plan? This. Here, you, me, I was gonna fall in and pretend to be in trouble, and then you would jump in and save me, and we would be wet and laughing at how stupid it was, and then you would lean in and... What? Nothing. Come on, I was just getting to the good part. It's not funny. Forget it, it's ruined. Don't say that. Maybe tomorrow we can do something. No, we can't. We have plenty of time. No, actually, we don't. We're stranded here, honey. We have all the time we want. The planet is dying, okay? Hey everybody, I'm Rima. And I'm Sean. And this is Strange Indeed, a podcast dedicated to the show Lost in Space. Today I'll be covering the sixth episode from Lost in Space titled Eulogy. <gasps> Sad face. Mm. Um, but before we talk about the sixth episode this week, um, first a word from this week's sponsor, BZRK Audio. Oh, Rima, would you like to bring your stereo system back from the dead? Yes. You know, have you had to have you had to have a eulogy for your car stereo system? Well, BZRK <laughs> Audio has just the thing to spark some life into your speakers. They have these awesome tweeters, which are just kind of smaller speakers that give you a great upgrade for your stock speakers to extend the upper mid-range response, and it's going to add some clarity and detail to voice, string, horns, and more. Like you like to rock out to that music, get a little of this in there, and boom, it's like you're there in the concert. Yes. BZRK Audio, you can find them at bzrkaudio.com. They're on Amazon and eBay, and it's you, super great, like cheap prices too, like good, good prices. So make sure you check them out, BZRK Audio. Again, you can search for them on Amazon or eBay. And when you go with BZRK Audio, make sure you go berserk. Absolutely. Thanks, BZRK Audio. Yeah, thanks, guys. Oh, yeah. We were talking concerts prior to us recording, so it definitely got us <laughs> in yeah. the music and concert mode. <laughs> I'm ready for it. Oh, I'm so ready. Uh, let's hope plans pan out and uh, we get to do what we were talking about. So, well, I'm super excited to, to talk about this. this is probably a mixture of excitement and uh, sadness. Uh, I hope I can get through this this one. I'm shook. And um, I don't know. What do you think? What are your thoughts? It was a, uh, you kind of texted me before I, I got into it. You said it was, it messed you up. And so the whole time, like I'm, I was pretty prepared for something to happen. Um, but I think what, what ended up happening at the end, I was, that's not what I expected. It was, yeah. I would say it was better than what I expected because that one to me kind of, um, outside looking in didn't feel as permanent as what else could have happened as what I was preparing myself for mentally. Yeah. And then I felt bad after texting you, which I didn't tell you anything that happened, just that I was upset. And, um, but I, I thought, oh, I, I probably shouldn't have said anything because I was kind of <laughs> surprised by the event there at the end and the little twist because I didn't expect it whenever I was watching. So I was like, oh, maybe you shouldn't have said anything at all. Um, but I didn't have anyone else to text. I don't, I don't know anyone else. My good friend, it was kind of late. And my good friend, I, 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 I didn't want to text her at that late hour. So, um, so I didn't want to text her. She's the only other person I know that's watching it in real life. So I was like, I have to tell somebody my feelings. <laughs> <laughs> 
So you were you were the one. Um, well, I'm excited uh, to talk about this one. This one had me left with a lot of feelings. So why don't you start us off with your number five? All right. So my number five uh, is going to be kind of, I guess, the, the happier moment of this. Um, and I kind of called it like the teen love story. Yeah. So we get to see Penny and in, in the president's uh, son. <laughs> she she talks him into going for a swim, which I kind of feel that, that with her, I feel like of the show, that's like the most uh, like disbelief I kind of have to put in or give a little bit of credit or not really credit, but a little bit of a leeway to. Mm-hmm. In this situation, you've just been attacked by animals. You know this like planet's not safe. And I find it difficult that somebody would be okay with just wandering off to a waterfall. That seemed a pretty decent ways away. Right. Everybody just kind of keeps like Maureen went off on her own all mm-hmm. alone, you know, in the last episode. And it's like, hello, does anybody even know what you're up to, where you're going? Can they find you? X, Y, and Z. Um, a- again, with Penny running off. And I'm like, you're how old? What, 15 or something? I think. Yeah. I don't know how old the actress is. She might be like 18 or 19, but they definitely play her in the like 15 to 16 range. Like she is... She's probably not old enough to really be doing these kinds of things on her own. Yeah. Yet. Especially on a planet like this. Like, she'd be the kind of person I think that, or just that age group where, you know, it's like, hey, yeah, you can go to the park, but make sure you text me every 20 minutes or whatever. At least that's what exactly. I would do. Exactly. Yeah, I was I was having a mom moment um, during that time. I'm thinking, what are, what, what, what's going on? Everybody just kind of running off. Oh, I think I'm going to go hang out in the waterfall. <laughs> Well, and there's so. so much work to do, too. Like, I mean, you know, their lighthouse just, you know, toppled over. Um, she and the the other thing is she knows that the planet's dying. She at least she has that. She's kind of stumbled onto that. Uh-huh. So I don't know if this was kind of her like seize the day because she did say carpe diem, which is kind of like seize the day. Right. Or and maybe that's why she wanted to do that is like, let's live for the moment because what if we get trapped here? You know, what if, what if we don't have a way off? She knows that they're, they're risking every minute that they're on the planet. There's a a risk based on what she learned. She's the only kid and uh, outside of her parents that, that knows what's happening at this point. So maybe that was a thing. Maybe it was like, I'm going to go live some life. I haven't lived much. I'm young. I'm going to go do something daring. I don't know. I'm going to jump in the waterfall and swim and hope there's not giant, <laughs> Alligator fish and exactly. played a big old wet one on the president's son. <laughs> <laughs> she was definitely looking to live it up by inviting that boy. That's for sure. Yeah, I mean, she had a she had a plan in mind, and I like that she kind of like um, completely laid it out. There's like, well, we're gonna come here. I was gonna fall in. You're gonna save me, and then <laughs> you know, very much that like uh, romantic comedy teen movie type of like plot point she was putting in there. Yeah, that was a sweet moment. Um, and I, I like that it was a vulnerable moment and I like how she was able to, you know, just let all that out. So I, I, I kind of feel like though, this is with her character and I, I hope they keep it a little bit where they make her a little bit stronger, but I feel like this is the second time. So when they first see the robot, she kind of played the, Oh, I know that, you know, but we can't tell anybody. So make it, keep it a secret. Mm-hmm. They find out it's because he wrote a really weird poem that he scared <laughs> people would see. Um, but then in this scenario, too, she lets it slip that the plant's dying. And it's, again, it's the whole, like, oh, I know and you know, but no one can know. Um, and I feel like doing that twice is maybe a little, I don't know, using that cliche too much. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm wondering if he's going to end up letting it slip. Or, you know, again, this whole scenario, John knows about it, too, at this point. Yeah. 
And they're kind of like, well, do we tell anybody? Mm-hmm. Uh, but jumping back into this, this situation with Penny, that's actually a different number I have. But, um, you know, we see the love poem. Um, and I love that he kind of said something like, well, you try to rhyme when you're, you know, falling <laughs> to your death. Which is yeah. very, very good point. Very true. Uh, but we do get a, a sweet little kiss between the two of them to kind of tidy it up. But, um, you know, but as a nice little section here, again, I, I kind of worry that sometimes the show leans a little bit too much on the corny. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, it's you know, I think that might be coming from shows like Black Mirror and Stranger Things where it's a little bit darker, a little bit more adult, where this is kind of more family friendly. Maybe I just haven't quite shifted gears to that yet. I, yeah, and I think I'm on the same page with you as well. I worry a little bit. I think so far there's been a, a fairly good balance. You know, there's some action, there's some intrigue, there's some fun sci-fi stuff, you know, with the space and, and the technology and, and, and worries that they're having being on this unknown planet. And then you got, you know, uh, Penny, you know, who keeps things fun and real. Uh, you got Don, who's, you know, um, he like we keep calling him the Han Solo of Lost in Space, yeah. you know, the, the nerf herder here. Yeah, this definitely. episode really played it well. Definitely. So, um, so I think there's been pretty good balance. But yeah, I, I, I hope that we don't see it too, too much in the remaining episodes. This one was six, and it goes up to ten. So we have five more episodes to go, right? Yeah. Um, so and I kind of, I guess this might have been more of a general point, but like with you telling me, hey, you know, something happened. Like I was a little bit more. I, I try to pay a little bit more attention. Um. I wonder if this this season would have been better to me if it was maybe eight episodes. Like, I'll have mm-hmm. to see how these next few play, but it seems like some of these episodes, and, and watching them I think it would be better, but trying to do a show where you're like, okay, I need five good things to talk about. I feel like sometimes these things, like each episode really, really bleeds over. I know we talked yes. about Steve the D a lot in Stranger <laughs> Things. We did. But each, each episode was a very evolution thing. Um, so just, just kind of curious how these next episodes, I know a lot of people say, oh, it picks up at this point, so... I have heard that too. I have a good friend who has has seen this series in its entirety so far and you know she's she's enjoyed it very much and when she was asking me she's like uh, which one are you doing this week? And I told her, and she's like, "Oh, I just watched this one and the next one, and it's really the story is really going." And um, when I did have an opportunity, to just kind of talked to her about this one a little bit about how upset I was, and um, she's like, "Oh yeah, it's gonna it's gonna keep going." So I don't, I mean, she hasn't told me anything, of course, because she's not that that kind of person. But um, you know, I think this is definitely where it jumps jumps off. And I was kind of concerned too. I was a little worried, like you, about the the length of the season. I thought, oh. You know, it seems like this. There could have been a, a, a maybe a fewer few episodes. I'm thinking. Yeah. Um, but in this one, I thought for a lot. I mean, there was some good stuff that happened. I mean, this show is fun, and there was action, and there's some funny lines and things that happened, and then there was so much emotion with what happened at the end. You know, with Will and the robot, and Will and his dad John, and and what they were doing. Um, but I, you know this there wasn't a lot of plot movement in this one, you know, it really didn't move the story forward. It didn't really move the plot. I don't feel. Um, but then, you know, there was really great unexpected things that happened that I know that we'll talk more about. So I'm, I'm with you. I, I'm, I'm going to hold faith, um, in the remainder episodes and, um, cause I've liked it so far, but I do worry about the repetitiveness of it. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, that's just my number five is this teen love story that we're getting. Good. Number five, lots of love in the air happening. Okay, so my number five is the robot debate. And ah, yes. Oh, golly. Uh, 
I thought it was, you know, interesting now that everybody knows now that the robot is there and it exists and they're having this, you know, communal type meeting with everyone that needs to be present um, to decide, uh, okay, so this thing's here. We know what it did. We know what it's responsible for. We need to talk about it. You know, should, should it be allowed to stay here? And they decide to listen to, you know, a couple of viewpoints and then they, you know, say, well, we should listen to someone who was actually present. Cause a lot of folks weren't there and saw exactly, they didn't see the robot. They didn't really understand because the Robinsons didn't know anything about a robot or what happened or what, why they had to get to the Jupiter and get off the resolute. So there was lots of folks that didn't have any clue what was happening at the time. So they're, you know, they, we get to see Angela again. She has, uh, she's recovering from her injuries and we got to hear about what happened and we find out that she's lost her husband and, and we saw she was very traumatized when we first met her, when Penny was, was, tr- or, um, sorry, Judy was treating her for her wounds. Um, and she is clearly opposed to having the robot there. She's telling her story. John is arguing the counterpoint, um, talking about how he's not the same, how he's been kind of reprogrammed and he's just speaking the facts. You know, Will's like, oh, thanks, Dad, for taking up for him. He's like, well, I'm just telling the facts and, mm. you know, kind of was. So I don't know. What do you think about that whole conversation? This is actually my number four. I called it Council of the Killer Robot. Ah. Um, so, yeah, you see all these people get around and, and I can see, well, actually, no, I can only really see her side and not John's. So <laughs> you kind of imagine, okay, so you're you're planning on starting this new life with your husband Mm-hmm. And you see him get essentially murdered by this killer thing from outer space. Yeah. Now, she suffered some terrible wounds from it. And then to be in a room where somebody's telling you like, oh, well, it's not the same thing now. It's like a computer. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, you could kind of argue with different things like, well, it's a machine. So it didn't really do it. But to me, it's actually sentient. So it, it actually knows what it's doing. Um. So, I mean, I'd have a hard time not being in her shoes and acting the same way. Mm-hmm. It's like you you can't trust it. You you can't think that that won't happen again. We don't know why it did it the first time, so how do we know it's not going to do it again? Right. Very good arguments for both sides, and I'm like you. I had a hard time. You know, I mean, as much as I've, you know, squealed about this robot since we started uh, talking about Lost in Space, you know, I totally see her side of things. I mean, her her husband was taken in a very brutal type of way when she was talking to uh, Dr. Smith later in the episode about exactly what happened and how he died in front of her and how she couldn't even let go of his hand because it, her hand was burned to yeah. his. I mean, how horrible. I mean, horrible to lose a spouse, horrible to lose him right in front of you as it's happening in this traumatic attack. I mean, uh, so you completely understand her feelings. And of course she doesn't want to have that robot. Um, but I also see John's point of view as well, that he is a machine. And I, and I, I think it's hard. They don't know enough about, we don't know enough about him to know how sentient he is. I mean, he is learning mm-hmm. um, and he does seem to understand, but he is still like a machine because he's clearly not the same. And I know that that was kind of proven Otherwise, uh, to a certain extent in this episode, um, by how he got pushed to the point that he did, um, that happened later on, but he is still a machine at the, at the basic part of it. So I do understand that. And I don't really know what a good solution was. I think that they could still keep him around and maybe just keep Angela, get her some help and help her 
you know, get past, uh, no, I don't want to say get past it cause then I guess you don't really get past it. Um, but try to help her move forward and keep her away from the robot for a while until she's able to understand and come to that logic. It's too early for her to come to that realization that maybe the, the robot could be useful. They are in an unknown place. Um, and he's clearly very strong and, uh, he can certainly help protect everyone, uh, like he did the Robinson family when they first discovered him. So I don't know. That's pretty tough. I don't know. I understand both sides. Um, and I, I like that like, John was sympathetic too. I mean, John definitely understood. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Um, I'm always like, I think these are the situations like if you, if you put the shoe on the other foot, like how would John feel if it was his wife that was killed or mm-hmm. one of his kids? Like, I don't see him being the kind of guy to be like, oh, well, let's give this robot a second chance. It's different. Right. Um, so That's it's true. Kind of like when it's not you that endured such the, you know, I mean, it's, I'm trying to think of a good situation of like I try because I think of this robot not as an object but more like a a living thing. Yep, same. Because to me, it's not like um, you know, like I'm trying to think of people that maybe have lost somebody. And uh, for example, my uh, my mom lost her brother in a Camaro when she was young. Like he passed away driving a Camaro, so she's like, no Camaros ever. Yep. You know, you're blaming an object at that point, but the Camaro really didn't have anything to do with that. It was just it was an accident. Whereas in this situation, it's a living, breathing thing, that, or not maybe breathing, but so I feel like it's a living thing that caused this. Exactly. Yeah. So it, I know at this at this point, I I don't really see the robot as just this machine that is is mindless because he does. I I think he thinks and feels and he is learning, and um, I don't know. Hopefully, we'll get to learn a little bit more about him. Um, but, but the same, I, I, I feel the same. It's, it's, I know he's not living and breathing in human, but I, I, I relate to him as being more human than just a machine. So I understand that if it was a person that had done that instead of a machine, would they be feeling the same? Yeah. I mean, I, I would imagine it'd be, that person would probably be held up. And if not, cause it's kind of like a, like you could say like Western justice at that point, you know, mm-hmm. like, we don't have a jail cell to put you, and we're out here in the middle of nowhere, so to the gallows, to the... Right. Well, and think of it this way. Think if it was a person and not a robot that was responsible, but because of the accident, and they maybe suffered some head trauma or some head injury that made them have like some type of amnesia, and their personality was different, and they had absolutely no memory mm-hmm. of, of what happened. I mean, do you still fault that person for... I mean, they're not that technically that person anymore because head injuries can change a person's personalities mm-hmm. um, and shift that. So, I mean, you could almost think of it that way if it was, if you're going to relate it to like a human person. Yeah. I don't know. Cause that's, to me, that's, that's a tough thing because you could argue like somebody who like, what if he found Don's booze and hooch and, you know, got a little intoxicated <laughs> and, you know, ran memories over come back. <laughs> yeah. Ran over somebody with one of those things. It's like, it, yeah, you you still did something. You obviously can't be trusted. Mm-hmm. I think, and maybe that's what it is to me. Is it comes down to a trust issue, right? You know, it's the circle of trust, like from the Meet the Fockers. Like you know, once you're outside the <laughs> circle of trust, you know, it's hard to get back in. Oh my gosh, I saw that on the other night. Such a funny <laughs> movie. You forget how funny that is. Yeah, it's pretty good. <laughs> um, that's so, awesome. Yeah, like this tied to my number four. And the only other thing I kind of noticed is it seems like there are some conditions that they put in. You know, kind of like the robot couldn't be out around people, and they're very much trying to isolate the robot so that if I guess just you know if for some reason it flipped out, it was going to flip out on the Robinsons first, and then that'd give everybody else more time to leave. Right, and probably because of a big fear thing. Like I'd imagine seeing that, and if somebody was on the ship and saw it, 
um, like the one lady did, then you definitely would not want to see it ever again. It'd just be kind of like a, you know, almost like PTSD type of situation. Absolutely. Yeah. There, it sounds like they're definitely wanted, wanting to try to minimize the contact and exposure that the robot has. Like let's ease people into this, you know, everybody, you know, not everybody is on board with keeping it around. They're agreeing to, you know, go along with it, but it doesn't mean that they agree with the decision or whatever. So, you know, they're, everyone's still really afraid. And, uh, so it sounds like a really good plan that, you know, they always keep track of it. They know where it's at and wanting to limit the exposure. So like, let's ease people and let people get used to the situation. So I think that was a good plan. Cool. Well, I know that kind of ran into your number four. Do you have anything else you want to say about your number four? No, that kind of tidies it up. Awesome. My number four is just completely shallow, but I feel like because I loved it so much, I have to (laughs) mention it and it's really short. Um, Hair metal lives on. Oh, yeah. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. I really like that moment. Um, anybody that's listened to our other podcasts and shows that we've covered knows how much I love music and hair bands. Um, so it was super cool to get that moment uh, when they're on the way to um, go get the other Jupiter, Don West Jupiter, that uh, is, I guess you could consider it like a desert-like area. And they're on their way, and he turns on some classic Van Halen. Yeah, he does. Oh, that was a super fun moment because I was like, that's a great road trip song. Van Halen classic is is an amazing band. Super cool. Uh, I really liked Judy, you know, how he, he kind of uh, harasses her a little bit about, you know, let's just have some fun. And I'm like, yes, please, because, yeah. you know, everything has been so, and I get you, you have to be serious and you have to stay on task and you have to stay focused because it's a matter of survival, but man, you got to let some steam off, right? I mean, mm-hmm. you're so pent up with all this, you're so anxious and stressed and, you know, you could die at any moment, but let's, let's have a little bit of fun and remember why we're on this, you know, this adventure to begin with, to live so let's live a little and just have some fun so i really liked her hanging out the top uh of the of the chariot there super cool scenery too how cool was it with all the uh that field of of the the gas explosions yeah the space (laughs) farts going off in the background and she's cruising with her hair blowing in the wind and she she breaks into a big smile and you can see that she's having fun. It was super cool to see, you know, Judy, who's the serious one, um, studious one having some fun. So I like that. That, that, So that's my number four. Yeah. I loved when he kicked it on. So this is kind of my, my number three, I think this is kind of just something we'll see on all these episodes. It's just simply Don West. Mm -hmm. You know, I thought he was amazing in this episode because he's, I think if like I was in this situation, to me, I would be this kind of person that, you know, you take things serious, but I hate whenever there's situations where like the room just gets way too serious. Like when I'm nervous or I feel awkward, like if I know the people enough, I'll crack a joke or say yes. something that's not really inappropriate, but just like kind of eases tensions. Ease and, the tension. Yes. Like, Oh, when they're like, he kicks on, he kicks on a um, jump by Van Halen and she's like, dude, this isn't a road trip. And he just like quick right back. He's like, well, it is now. You know, <laughs> Panama. Your, yeah. Panama. Was it you Panama had a, or was it jump? It was, it was Panama. Yeah. Okay. For some Panama. reason I thought it was jump. No, well, you had it right before we recorded because we were talking about it before we started recording. So you had it right then. Okay. Yeah, it was Panama. Um, oh, yeah. And I wrote down Panama. I don't know why I thought jump. I think you just said Van Halen. That's the first one I think of. <laughs> it's classic. <laughs> uh, 
And so she talks about like not going on uh, her prom. And so he flips open the escape hatch and, uh, you know, she throws her hands out. And like you said, you get to see her have a little bit of fun. And, uh, you know, uh, again, Don, like just kind of like allowing the fun to happen when the, the president contacts and was like, hey, guys, come on, seriously, like stop messing around. He's like, oh, sorry, visibility issues. Right. I know what what a turd, man, because there is, you know, I don't know the names of all the characters yet. I feel like we haven't really got to know them yet. But that one girl sitting in the back seat, she's like, can I? No. It's like, dude, get the stick out of your ass yeah. already. You know, let be a leader and realize that your people need to let off a little steam. You know, it's it's been a really tense situation. These people almost died for crying out loud. Let them live a little bit and have a little bit of fun and, and have, you know, just a little bit of adventure. It was harmless. What was, you yeah. know, so they want to hang out the top of the chariot. It's not like, you know, they're going to hurt anybody or risk the the mission by doing so. So I'm just, I'm so annoyed with that guy. <laughs> yeah. There's, guy. Just, there's some people in life. It's like, cause there's, I think there's a fine line between like discipline and um, I guess just being a good leader. Like you can cross over and have way too much discipline against people, but you're a terrible leader. And I feel like the, the president's kind of buttoned up against that. Um, but yeah, like you just, you got to let people blow off steam. You got to let people have a good time. And, and especially when it's harmless and it's not going to cause any, you know, overarching issues with the mission. Exactly. That, that dude. Good. Number three. Do you have anything else on that? Yeah. Uh, so yeah, my, tying into my number three, it was just Don. So a uh, couple Sweet. pieces, like when they're talking about uh, Judy, I think he was talking to the president. Or at some point he's talking to somebody, but he's like, oh, man, those Robinsons, they're a real pain in the ass. <laughs> uh, I think he's just trying to get a feel for that guy, and it ain't yeah. working. <laughs> but And I thought Don had a really good point in this because you know he, he starts talking to the president because he knows about this fuel. Um, I don't know if he kept it in his back pocket or if it's just something that's like, oh, wait, actually, I know where there's some fuel. Yeah, and I was confused stri- about that. Yeah, but he strikes a deal for it, which – you know, in this situation, he's a scoundrel kind of guy. Like he, he's not coming from money. It looks like he has no way to get to this new planet. He's just, you know, packing stuff there and flying back to a dying planet, the way he put it. Mm-hmm. But you know, he's he knows where to to get it, and he plays on the leaders, kind of like you know, hey, we do this. You'll be a smart leader to do this, and you know, people look at you like a hero. And he's like, but I'm just looking for a little bit of cash. Like I'm looking to get a little bit of wealth, enough that he could probably get onto this new planet. Mm-hmm. And I love the point that, you know, when Judy finds out about this, I think this is, you know, I don't know if it's a, a something you can say about society in, in general, but um, a little bit of hypocrisy there where she's like, oh, my gosh, like, why didn't you just do this for the betterment of the group? And he, he jumps right back with her and is like, oh, so when you're on this new planet and you're a doctor, are you going to do all that work for free? <laughs> right. You know, are you just are you going to do that out of the goodness of your heart? And it's like, well, I. And it's like, yeah, see, why can I, you know, I have this knowledge, this resource. Why shouldn't I benefit from it somehow? Right. And uh, I just thought it was a very kind of thought-provoking type of thing. I don't know what you think about that, but. Well, now that you say that, it it, it makes me think of it just a little bit differently. I mean, I heard him make the comment like, you know, uh, well, doctors charge for their services. You know, he has a resource. He's just capitalizing on what he knows you know, I'm not sure how comfortable it, it really sits with me in the manner that he's doing it. Cause I'm like you, I was a little bit confused as to, you know, did he just have this in his back pocket and was he waiting to use it at the right moment or, um, 
you know, did it just occur to him like, well, hey, my ship is probably okay because of these eels, you know, only seem to mm. thrive in, in moisture. So my place is probably okay. He doesn't know that. He hasn't been back there, um, but he's just kind of going on that assumption. Uh, so I was kind of curious about that as well as just to where that came from. Cause I thought if he was like knowingly just was holding that for just the right moment or something kind of a douche move, because it's fine if you want to yeah. make money off of it, it's like, okay, fine. I've got something that you want and I'm looking to profit out of it. That's fine. But to like hold it hold, withholding information that could help the rest of the the group of survivors. I don't like that. So I don't know. I hope, I hope it wasn't that kind of situation. And we don't know the time frame. I mean, if it's been a couple of days, like there's a lot going on. Like it, it may be something that like, you know, maybe the day before he found out like, oh, wait, nobody has any fuel. And it kind of mm-hmm. like dawned on was like, oh, wait a second. I've got fuel. Oh, right. I could actually maybe make a little bit of money off this because we see him trying to wheel and deal in this whole episode. He talks to yeah. the, um, the two scientists and they're dissecting the, the alien life form. And he's asking like, well, like, what would this be worth on Earth? Because he's just a dude that doesn't have any money and he's working a job and he wants to try to get that next next level. Yeah, it sounds like he's been hustling most of his life. Yeah. And I don't know if that's there's kind of like an even worse class system in this. So like because they talk about only the the best get to go to this new planet. Mhm. You know, are they basically capping is like you have to pass all these tests and you have to have an income of this already to to go. That kind of kind of what it sounds like. It's like even if you pass tests cuz he seems very reliable for different things. He's still like he's reliable enough to be on these missions right just not reliable enough or good enough to get on the planet. <laughs> you're good enough to get us there you're not good enough to stay <laughs> um yeah because we learned like you mentioned we learned that you know he's he's basically transporting he's like a pilot he's transporting people back and forth and and he gets to take them there uh, to Alpha Centauri, but he doesn't get to stay. Mm-hmm. He's got to go back to Earth, which is dying, uh, that we found that out. But, um, you know, also we find out that, um, oh gosh, I had a point, I swear, about one of the other episodes where he was talking about, um, oh, I think it was like in the pilot episode whenever he was talking to the, and I didn't catch her name, but she, I think, oh, she's the one that died in the trip or whatever, but they were, when they were, um, escaping the resolute as everyone was abandoning ship and getting on their, on their, on the Jupiter, uh, she was like, you know, what are you whining about? You're going to make a fortune. He's like, well, I don't get the money until I get back, you know? So they're going to get paid a lot of money, but it it doesn't mean anything if they don't survive. He doesn't have it now. It's not doing him any good until he gets back. And even then, if he's got a lot of money on earth, eh, I mean, Earth sounds like it's kind of going downhill at that yeah. point. So, is that does that even mean anything at this point? Well, especially, so. if, I mean, if he doesn't have a family or anything like that, like this is like he talked about Miami being like it's still Miami, uh, but like if you know there's no future for you, like you have no kids or no family, it's just kind of like okay, well, I'll drink all these mai tais that I can and pass out on this beach. That's you know, right. What's it mean to be rich on the earth, the the earth that they're leaving, you yeah, know, does it really mean point. anything, you know? So does that money, he might have a lot of money, but does it really mean anything like it would having a lot of money on Alpha Centauri? So Let's see. I only have two more points on Don. So one of them okay. is they're talking about uh, don't count your chickens. <laughs> and uh, he had a great line. He's like, well, I only had one chicken and her name's Debbie. <laughs> He doesn't forget about his chicken. No, I love it. it. I love, yeah, I love that too. That they've they've kept that going uh, all the way through. 
Um, and the last thing, so when they're on that uh, planet and they're getting turning around because they thought the ship was gone, there's a quick shot where he's wearing that uh, Christ- St. Christopher necklace. <gasps> Nuh-uh. It looked like it was because you see it kind of like out of his thing and sitting on the side, but then the next shot it was gone, like it got tucked back in. Huh. So I'm pretty confident he's wearing that necklace. Well, you speculated in the last episode that when we were talking about it, when he had the confrontation with Dr. Smith about that you felt he was lying and really did have that St. Christopher medal. Yeah, so I'm pretty sure I saw it. Very good. Maybe when he was scavenging in the ship and he found the um, suitcase, I'm going to call it a suitcase, uh, full of the real Dr. Smith's belongings and pictures and certificates and things like that. And he, that's when he comes to realize, uh, holy shit. Oh yeah. Yeah. That Dr. Smith is not the real Dr. Smith. Um, maybe he still had it at that point because he brought it up to Penny. He, I keep calling her Penny shit. I did Uh, the same thing. Yeah. Uh, he, he brought it up to her about the St. Christopher medal. Uh, so maybe, maybe you did. I, if, if that's true, I totally missed it, but good catch. But yeah, it's my number three. It's kind of becoming my favorite characters are Han Solo in this, <laughs> uh, universe. And that's Don West. He's the nerf herder. We didn't know we needed <laughs> like it. Good. Number three. Uh, so mine, we're going to go a little deeper here. Um, and it's, it's, it's going to go light and then it's going to go dark. And that's where, where we're headed is, uh, Will's lesson. Mm. So, oh man, this, I thought was really great. And I really, really liked this scene. I was curious as to what John was going to be up to, uh, Again, you're you're talking like, well, they need help. They they have things to do. They have camps to build. They're trying to, you know, they need to figure out a way to contact the Resolute. They're trying to survive here, trying to figure out like what can kill them, what what won't kill them. Uh, but he's going to take Will and decides to take the robot out on this uh, little venture out for the day. And I really loved how he went about teaching Will this lesson because Will is kind of making light like, Oh, thanks dad for letting me keep the robot. And he's, he's, you know, talking about it like he's a pet or a toy Mm -hmm. or uh, something like that. I mean, I think Will knows, yes, that's my best friend and he means a lot to me, but he's, you know, he, John, I think really needs to convey to Will the gravity of the situation and like, you know, yeah, you get to keep the robot, but you know, there's a responsibility that comes with that. You need to know that responsibility that you really have to live up to what you said you're going to do as far as keeping him, you know, uh, we have to know where he's at at all times and, and, and we got to keep him, you know, to a certain area, things like that, all those rules and stuff. And I think that sometimes you have to go a little above and beyond with teaching kids lessons you know, like John did here, it's, you can't sometimes just tell them, Hey, here's how it is. And this is a pretty serious situation. You have to really teach them that moment. I think John did this in such a great way by having Will collect those stones and making Mm -hmm. them really heavy. You know, those were some very heavy stones and man, you know, the first few, even though they're heavy, you can manage, but man, you get to that 27th stone and, uh, you know, your your arms are, are feeling like numb and you can't feel them anymore, you know. So that that gets to be, you know, quite a trial. And I, I feel like he feels not just the weight of the stones, but the weight of that responsibility, I think, is what John was trying to put on him. And I really, really liked how he taught that and taught him a lesson in general, not just for what that moment with the robot did, but just in general about honoring the ones that you lost, and I thought that was a really touching way to do that, that that was a nice way. And how John paid tribute to, to Angela's husband, the first stone that yeah. he laid down and 
said this is for him and I like that. I like that whole whole thing. What did you think about that scene? I really liked I mean, at first when he's doing all this stuff, I wasn't sure what was going on. Again, I kinda had a, a little bit of tease that something bad was gonna happen. Mm-hmm. So I was really concerned that the rock was gonna have some kind of impact on the robot or something like that. Mm-hmm. But as he pulls that first one over and, you know, he sits it down, and his dad's like, All right, get twenty six more. You know, they had just alluded that 27 people died on the Resolute because of the robot. Yeah. And just, it's very, like you said, it's a very good lesson to, to teach the kids, like, hey, this robot's a dangerous thing. And I, it's one of the, it's not like the physical exertion of it, but I think it's just the time that it would take to find the rock, pick it up, carry it over. That at some point, you're just going to be in your head while you're doing it. You're going to go on autopilot. But in that, hour or whatever it would take to grab all the rocks and move it, you're going to be thinking about each one of those. Right. And I think it just, you know, some of the best lessons I can think of is when you had to go and kind of fix a mistake you made, even though he didn't make this mistake necessarily, but he had Mm -hmm. to kind of pay for a mistake that happened. You know, you do something wrong and it's like, okay, well, you're going to mow the lawn. It's like, yeah, but it's not, it doesn't need mowed. I don't care. You're mowing the lawn. Yeah. I want you to think about why you're mowing the lawn right now and why you're going to mow the lawn in four days. And it just kind of like, you know, you get past maybe the the frustration or like the, dang it, dad, you're such a jerk. <laughs> you know, you get over that like upset after, you know, 30 minutes and then you start things like, oh, like I'm doing this because of, and it just kind of, you just start processing it, thinking about it instead of just doing a task to kind of check a box and move on. Right. Yeah, I definitely think there was some meaning behind every stone he had to go pick up because of because it, it took so much time, like you said, to find a big enough rock. Because his dad's like, you know, you can't just be some little rock. It's got to be the, the heaviest that you can manage. And like I said, it's not just the weight of the rock, but the weight of the responsibility of keeping the robot around and what that's going to mean um, and to take that on. But the time that it takes you to find a rock pick up the rock, carry it over to the memorial that you're creating out of these rocks, um, makes you think as you're carrying it because it's it's such a, a challenge for you, a mental challenge, a physical challenge. It does make you think about that this rock represents a person that died mm-hmm. because of the robot. And I thought it was you know, interesting for, cause I'm, I'm wondering also because as an afterthought, it, it almost seems that John's kind of like, Oh, and the robot too, you know, can come. So the robots there, I'm wondering if, you know, he doesn't allow the robot uh, to help Will, but it was it a little bit of a lesson for the robot too to be standing no, there watching yeah. Will carry these heavy rocks and he can't help him. He's not allowed to help him, but he's got to sit here and watch him pile these stones for the 27 people of lives that he was responsible for. That's a really good point. Cause on the way there, they talk about like how the robot high fived mm-hmm. and he asked, was like, would you teach him? That's like, Oh no, I think he's learning. And I think that's a really good point. Like, uh, I'm trying to think if there's ever been a situation where this happened to me, but it's almost like when, Oh, I, I think sports is probably a great example of this. You know, like, I don't know if you played any sports in high school, mm-hmm. but like, you know, you're playing a sport and one of your teammates messes up, you know, they, and they keep messing up and maybe they're not learning from that mistake. What what did some coaches do? They say, okay, you know, Greg, you stand on the sideline. Everybody else, run laps. Run. <laughs> and Sprints. so Greg's standing there watching as his whole team has to run all these laps. And, you know, I think I think what you just said is a very good point. I think the robot's sitting here and saying, like, oh, I caused this to happen. Now, this isn't, I think, probably to that extent where the, the teammates are mad at Greg Mm-hmm. But and I because I don't think Will's mad at the robot, but it's definitely like, oh, I let my friend down. Right. I don't want to do that again. 
Exactly. I because I, you could tell. Oh, it just it got me. Oh, and I'm, I'm I have to be careful about where I allow allow myself to go in this because it makes me so upset with what happened in the end. But the first rock, you see, will struggling with it as he's carrying it over by his dad, and you can see the robot in the background just kind of just gently raise his arms like he wants so bad Mm -hmm. to reach out to Will and take that rock from him so he doesn't have to bear it. So that's what made me think that they're, he's also teaching the robot, I think, a lesson in this, or he's attempting. I don't know, you know, that it was working or something, but I feel like, you know, no robot, you can't help Will. You need to sit here and watch him do this and, and know that you're responsible for him having to learn this lesson by having you around. So you better behave yourself and not flip out anymore because, you know, there are consequences to all of this. So I thought that was really interesting. And I, I like that whole lesson. I I like John as a parent. I like him. Like him as a character, like him as a parent. But that's my yeah, number three. Just a just a tiny bit back on John. It's it's a it's kind of a situation where I, I think he's probably seen a lot of terrible things mm-hmm. during his military experience, but it doesn't seem like he's let that bleed over into his family. Like it still seems like he's, I don't know what you would call it, but um, you know, he, he just seems to be able, he seems to be a good father still and able yeah. to kind of block the the things that he's probably seen before. Yeah. I, I think agree. I kind of see that here. I agree. So with that being said, what's your number two? All right. Uh, my number two is probably pretty quick, but it's basically the birth death repeat of this planet. Yeah. So Maureen's figured all this out and she gets with the scientist guy and is standing with him and basically kind of a, oh, like he already figured it out. Mm-hmm. And he kind of points out like, you know, all the mature trees here only have one ring. So, <laughs> That's a scary thought. <laughs> yeah. So things here don't last long. And I think of, um, you know, you think of like our planet and, you know, they say it's millions and millions of years old and, you know, how long that is in respect to like this, like how quickly this planet probably develops, creates this ecosystem, and then quickly it just collapses on itself because of the sun. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's it's a scary thought to think that like if you're living in this kind of planet and know that's coming, because well, they already kind of had the same effect on Earth, except they knew they had an extended period of time. Right. On Earth, they knew it was dying, but it's like, well, we've got you know maybe hundreds, maybe thousands of years left. On this planet, it's pretty much the same thing, but it's going to be relatively quicker. It could be months, could be weeks, could be months. Yeah. Uh, so it's just kind of interesting that they're, they point out that this really gets the race on. Like you know, either we're going to die on this planet and not make it to the new planet, or we're going to you know make it off this planet and have a great story to tell. Yeah, that was I thought really interesting, and that's a really good point that you make for you know versus the tragedy, whatever events that. Um, got earth to where it was and they had to, you know, this group of folks that are leaving Alpha Centauri to go live another life, starting a new colony and earth and earth and humans, not earth, but humans live on. Um, yeah, they know, okay, yeah, earth is dying, but it's a slow death. We can still live and, and parts of earth will still live and we can carry on this new place. Um, and this was Hiroki that she was talking to and he says, but there are signs, erratic weather patterns, wildlife migration, even the oldest trees have only one ring. The life cycle on this planet is quite remarkable. Birth, death, repeat. Um, that's quite a fast cycle. When you think of, you know, trees and life that can grow so and come mm-hmm. back so quickly, you know, it, everything gets devastated and taken out, but then as quickly comes back that 
that is scary. I definitely wouldn't want to be sticking around for that um, at all. I'm glad you brought that up. That was in my notes. Oh, man. Lots of stuff happening. So what do you have for your number two? My number two, oh gosh, this is going to be a lot. I feel like we're going to spend some time on this one, is the scheming. And I'm telling you what, I don't, I I definitely by no means claim to know Dr. Smith's end game and what she hopes to accomplish. um, Or if she just basically gets her jollies uh, messing with people. Um, But she's getting downright evil and disturbing. Uh, with how she's messed, I mean, she's she's done it since since we've met her and seen her backstories and flashbacks and things. Um, but then what she does with Angela, I mean that that's messed up. And and then to see and and then what really made me mad is not just all of this, but then the end result of what happened at the mm-hmm. end with the robot because of what she did resulted in Will taking his action against the robot just had me steaming. And I've had enough of this character. <laughs> I just want someone just to take her out right away. Um, I don't care what they do. Just get rid of her because it's pissing me off how she is just, it seems like she just gets off on it. Uh, you know, like I said, I don't know that if it's an end game, if she has a, you know, somewhere that she's going with it or if she just, cause some people just like fucking with other people. Yeah. No, yeah. yeah. Um, so Some I mean, people it, just like to watch the world burn. Exactly, she's the Joker, man, um, and, and and I just don't like her. And so I don't know. I'm really, really. I mean, she's an intriguing character. I think she's really good at what she does. She is kind of fascinating to watch, but the consequences and actions uh, of of what she's doing is really really pissing me off and I really hope that now that Don and Judy know that she's not the real Dr. Smith Mm -hmm. you know I hope this gets to be known very quickly around the rest of the folks and they shut her ass down and do something because I don't think I can take any more of what what she's doing so I don't know what do you what are your thoughts on all of that well she she had two moments that kind of like just infuriated me because it's that person stirring that pot one was after she talked to is it Alicia was her name Angela. Angela. Mm-hmm. Um, when she was talking with Angela and getting all that stuff, like she walks out of her room is like, oh, I think we're done for the day. You know, and walking out and she kind of did that little hand motion, like basically queuing up her cry. Yes. Like she knew that's what was going to happen. And just were terrible human being to do things like that. Yes. And the other moment is when she's talking to Maureen and when she's kind of like counseling her, she gets the phone call from Angela and uh, she basically says, oh, I'm sorry, this is a patient. <laughs> and it's like, oh, like you're not a doctor and you're doing this condescending thing. And I know. Just mm. like want to reach out and uh She's so despicable. And yeah. you know, I mean, we caught her reading up on, I don't know exactly what she was reading, but you can tell she's like trying to brush up on some counseling or or therapist type um uh tools to talk to people so she can keep pulling this off because she knows she doesn't know yet that don knows about her true identity but she i think knows that don knows that there's something not quite right about her just because of how she didn't tell people like oh i wasn't alone out in that storm there was someone else with me so he knows that she's a total liar or she knows that um, and now he's, of course, learned her not true identity, but has learned that she's not the true Dr. Smith. Um, so I think she's doing everything that she can to keep passing herself off as a doctor and know mm. the terms and know the language. And and I have a feeling because of how 
unhinged she truly is that she's probably seen a couple counselors and therapists in her lifetime and yeah, probably <laughs> probably knows the game just a little bit from from being on the other side of of things not on not being the therapist but being on the other side and being the patient so i feel like she's probably pulling from that experience as well are my thoughts cuz she seems uh, a little um bent I'm going to say in a nice way. It's the nicest thing I can think of saying about her. So that that's that's my number two. Just just the whole thing and seeing this manipulation continue and how she just gets these thoughts in her head. You can kind of see it, how her face moves and her brain's working and that hamster wheel's turning of how she can, you know, take the situation and run with it. And like I said, I don't know if it's an end game. I don't know if she just gets her kicks out of messing with people. Like that's all she knows to do is, you know, that's what she's good at. That's what she does. And if that's why she's doing it, I don't know, but I'm done with her (laughs) (laughs) as to what happened. So what's your number two? My number two, oh, this would be my number one. Mm. Uh, My number one, uh, I've just titled simply the 28th rock. Oh Um, God. We're just, let's just talk about it because that's my number one. So just go Uh, ahead and and we're just going to have a conversation. (laughs) So, so the point leading up to that. Um, Dr. Smith, I don't know why she did it. There's a scene when she was talking to, um, I, I just forgot her name again. I want to keep saying Alicia, but it's not Alicia. Angela. Angela. Mm-hmm. She was talking to Angela and I thought I saw a tear in her eye and I wanted to believe that she was actually getting emotional during this moment. Mm-hmm. I, I probably, maybe not because Angela was facing away from her. So there's no reason to fake a tear. But in the moment when she sees her coming to the ship, she sends Will away. Yep. And I don't know if that's because by sending Will away, the robot's now kind of not on safe mode. Yes, that's what I took from it. So, yeah. You know, and sometimes I like to think the best of people, and maybe she was sending Will away because she knew that by sending him away, he'd be safe from any kind of crossfire. Because Will would be the kind of person to jump in front of the robot and potentially catch a bullet from Angela when she's up there shooting at him. Yeah. Um, but you know, we see what happens from that result and basically just to say, you know, he old yellowed him, you know, his, his had gone rabid. He, uh, he took him out to the edge. It was his best friend. And, you know, he told him to, to walk off the edge and that's, that's what he did. That it's funny that you say that because that was the title of my number one was the space version of old yeller (laughs) (laughs) i mean you make some really good points i refuse to believe she has any shred of decency left in her at all i feel she is so narcissistic she can only Mm. look out for herself so i really feel in my opinion and I see the I see your point about that about it could go one way or another, but I refuse to see any decency in her whatsoever. I totally see the fact that she's like because that that was a whole argument with John, right? Like my son can control him. You saw the robots out there raging, but as soon as Will steps into the picture, um, you know that he's able to control the robot and calm him and bring him back down. So. And they say their their point when they're having this this counseling uh, session or this council discussing the robot and and what's going what the situation what's going to happen uh, moving forward is so we're going to put our life in the hands of a child and that's essentially what they're doing. I mean, they're basically saying Will cannot leave this robot's side. 
because if he does and something happens to set this robot off and Will's not around to help calm him down, well, what's going to happen? Is mm-hmm. he, you know, number one, will he get triggered again? Two, will Will be around to help calm him if he does get triggered? So I totally saw that she saw an opportunity coming when she, you know, was counting on Angela finding that weapon hitting or hidden out in the woods and she sees her coming and she comes up with that idea. Hey, Will, you know, she's, trying to think of a way to get him out of the room. How about go invite your mom? Mm-hmm. You know, uh, she knows where Maureen is at and you know, she's like, go, go get your mom, go ask her to play. Uh, do, you she, think, do you think Maureen knew the plan? Do you think she was in on it? On Dr. Smith's plan? Yeah. Because as she's out there, Will goes and talks to her. And when all this stuff is going on, she didn't really seem like too quick to run back in with him. She was more trying to keep him from going in. Because the whole time I I saw Maureen towards the end of this, it seemed like something was off with her. Yeah. Because, again, since she told me, it's like, oh, like something bad happened. Like, I thought, like, maybe she got, like, radiation poisoning. Mm -hmm. It's like she was going to die soon or something like that. (laughs) And so that's what I was preparing myself for. But in that whole moment where she's like, don't go, like, stay here. Like, I felt like maybe she was in on the plan. I, you know, I, I get what you're saying because I noticed the same thing as, because it all kind of happens there in slow motion when, when, you know, Will is like, okay, I'll, I'll deal ya. And he turns around and then we hear the gunshots and his reaction seems quite genuine as to, oh, what the hell versus Maureen's, you know, reaction was just, no, Will, don't go in there. Uh, so he doesn't get in the middle of it. I think it was probably more just didn't want Will to go towards any gunfire. Uh, I would hope to goodness that she didn't know anything about that plan or, or, or what happened. I'm sure that will unfold as we get into more episodes, but I would, I would hope not, but I did notice her reaction was not quite what I expected it to be yeah. when those, when those gun gunshots started. Um, I I really had a hard time with that. I, uh, just that look when the robot is standing outside the yeah. room as John's lying there, you know, still kind of conked out. Uh, poor guy, I'm sure, has a concussion, knocked out and stuff, and they're all by his bedside. And, um, you know, Will looks over, and, and the robot seems to understand what he did. He's like, oh, I feel so yeah. bad. He's lying there. I hurt him. I did bad. He's basically like, oh, I did bad. Like when, you know, I get onto my dog for chewing at paper that was on the floor or something and she's mm-hmm. giving me that look like, oh, um, he, he clearly to me was looking down and was remorseful at what he did. And Will, I'm sure is just feeling absolutely horrible because he does feel that responsibility that his dad taught him and, and what can't be allowed to happen. And it wasn't just anybody that got hurt. It was his dad. Yeah. That got well, hurt. I mentioned it earlier. That's where it kind of comes back around. It's like, well, it, it didn't affect me, so mm-hmm. you know we should be okay. But now instantly it's affected you. It's hitting closer to home. You're like, my dad could have died, and it mm-hmm. would have been my fault. And I I have the opportunity to make sure that this doesn't happen again. So that's what he ended up doing. I know. That whole long walk through the woods. Um, and I thought, I did not expect what happened to happen. I thought he was taking him back to the cave. You know, when they, Mm, when they, when the kids took him to the cave and they were hiding the robot from their parents and was like, you know, you stay here, you stay out of sight, out of mind. And, and then we're just going to have to figure it out, but you stay here. So I thought he was going to take the robot to the cave and make the robot stay there at the cave, um, until, you know, they could figure it out. Um, I did not expect that. So when he took him back to that memorial Mm. site and has him up on that high rock, I was just like, (gasps) 
what are you doing? I just, yeah. my mind could not go there. It's like I knew, but my mind wouldn't allow me to really think about it or accept it. So I was like, what are you doing? What are you doing, Will? And oh my God, when he tells the robot, he's like, you're my best friend. And he gives him a mm. hug. Oh, Jesus. And um, the robot, he starts to walk forward and he turns and looks at Will. Yeah. And he's like questioning him because the robot knows. He looks over the edge and he's like, I'm not going to come out of this yeah. on the other side. He knows what's going to happen. So, And then he looks at Will like, really? This, <laughs> do you want me to do this? Are you sure? And he tells him to go on. And oh, my God, I thought I was going to die. I think I literally screamed. And I'm like <laughs> ugly crying all over the place. I'm still and I even on the second time, even though I knew exactly what was going to happen and stuff. I still I cried probably harder the second time. <laughs> somebody comes in and says, are you crying? No, somebody's cutting onions. Oh, my God. My dogs are like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> Why are you crying? Um, well, but and, and I, I just bad I didn't the like it. The bad thing is, uh, like, just wait. At some point in the next episode, I guarantee Dr. Smith's going to be out there picking up the pieces oh my and God. putting it back together. Well, and that's that's one of my points as well, is, you know, he did bust into pieces, but the pieces looked like you could assemble them fairly yeah, easily yeah. back together. Like, he wasn't completely shattered and looked beyond repair, because he was pretty damaged when we met him, right? He was yeah. pretty much oh, yeah. essentially split in half. He was so, missing half his body. Yeah, and he was able to like kind of snap back together and somehow his wiring and pieces were able to meld back together after that. So he he you, we've seen him come back from some damage before and like I said it, it's not like his arms and legs they split from like his torso but they didn't like split in half. They weren't shattered or anything like that. So there is a part of me that is holding out hope, but I I was still so stuck on what had happened that I wasn't able to think in a positive manner that, oh, he's going to be fine because all I could see is him plummeting over the yeah. edge of the cliff. And I was so upset. Um, and it just, it blew me away. It's like, you could look at that, look at his face and see that understanding of exactly what Will was asking him to do. And he seemed to be so heartbroken because he seemed already upset about what he did that he seemed remorseful over hurting John and then Will seeing Will going to that length that he felt the robot had to be destroyed in order to protect mm. his family. Just really, you could, I felt like you could see that in the robot. Like he feels this is necessary to protect everyone and that he was willing to do that, that the robot was like, okay, I'm willing to self-destruct. Um, mm, disassemble, yeah. disassemble number five. <laughs> <laughs> God, I can't think about this anymore. I'm going to start crying again. <laughs> this is really hard for me. <laughs> yeah, the only good thing is, I mean, it's kind of when you like uh, are playing like a, uh, not a video game, but like D&D, you kind of like, okay, I know, I know what's going to happen. Like I've seen this story before, so we know he's going to come back. Mm -hmm. um, so at least there's kind of that in the back of my mind. It's like, okay, well, he's destroyed, but he's not really destroyed. Yeah. Um, if this was like the last episode of the season, I think that would be even more difficult to, to stomach. Yes. That's why I was able to hold out some hope after I gave it some thought and, and just, you know, reflecting on it that, okay, it's not like this is the finale of, of the first season. There's still several seasons to go. He wasn't completely shattered. It looks like you could just pop him back into place. So I'm holding out hope. But still, the situation, whether he comes back 
and, and how still that whole situation, how do you come back from that? You yeah. know, how, what happens to his and Will's relationship moving forward? And, oh my God, I don't know, but it, it definitely left, left me upset. And then, like you said, uh, calling it the 28th rock mm-hmm. after he plummets and Will places another rock on top. Jeez. I mean, I'm on emotion overload. <laughs> It that was not good for me. I cry. It wasn't good. You don't want to see me ugly cry. <laughs> oh man! Anything else to say about your number one? No, I mean just that twenty eighth rock, like you were mentioning. It just kind of really puts it into perspective again. It's like I think when he saw what happened, he kind of grew up even more. I think he still had that boyish kind of thought, and and I think at that moment he grew up as like, oh, okay, like I have to, I can't look at this world in a a you know child's imagination type of style. Like I have to, I have to look at this as life and death and go from there. You know what that reminds me of? And I know that you'll get this and I hope this isn't too spoilery for anyone who hasn't watched the walking dead or at least walking dead season two. It reminds me of that moment with Rick and Carl in the barn when he gives Carl his hat and he, well, maybe he gave him his hat before that, but he tells him no more kid stuff. It's when he gave him the gun too, right? Like that's when he actually gave him, gave him a gun to. I don't know if he carry. gave him the gun, but they were sitting up at the top of the barn, up in the loft, and uh, they were having that conversation. And that's what that reminds me of was that lesson and and that conversation that John had with Will was that conversation Rick had. You know, people are going to die, and this is how it happens. It's not quite the same thing. The events that happened in The Walking Dead that led to that moment versus the events that happened in lost in space, but mm. a similar co- conversation where it's like, it's time to grow up a little bit. We have yeah. to realize there's responsibilities here. So it's kind of that, that point is what I was trying to, to make. I, yeah. I remember that conversation because Rick's like, Carl, <laughs> there's going to come a time where contracts are going to come into play. <laughs> we can't and talk about that. <laughs> you're going to have to choose. Well, they're going to choose for you. <laughs> oh gosh <laughs> I'm not bitter <laughs> no none of us are right <clears throat> yeah we won't talk about any of that in case people haven't watched or know what the hell we're talking about <laughs> oh the walking dead what's that I remember getting that question oh my goodness the look on my face must have been priceless um, okay, so do you have any notes? Um, I've got two. Um, one kind of goes back to when they're uh, sucking the gas out of the other Jupiter. Um, the president <laughs> goes over to her. <laughs> sucking the gas <laughs> Like they were siphoning it or something. <laughs> <That's okay. laughs> but as they're doing it, um, the, the president asks, like, well, how long is this going to take? And the girl's like, well, it's going to take three hours. And he's like, well, do it in two, which is like a total, like, bad boss move. Um, and she's like, well, what do you want me to do? Do you want me to change physics or lie to you? I love I, that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's very much something that's like, you know, it, it's going to take this amount of time. You know, it's, it's like whatever you're driving somewhere. It's like, okay, it's going to take an hour. We'll make it in 30. Well, do you want me to speed or like, what are you, right. what are you talking about? Yeah, that was funny. Um, and the only couple other things I had is again, some good funny notes from, um, from Don Solo. Um, <laughs> As he gets out, like he saves himself, and they're all like, "He sacrificed himself for us," and he's kind of climbing. He's like, "I don't even like you people." <laughs> he's like, "I'm a badass princess." Yes, and they all kind of start giggling. He's like, "What? Oh, nothing, princess. No, I'm a bad. There's a comma. I'm a badass 
comma, princess. Yep. Whatever, princess. That was that was good. I thought the same thing when they said that. I was like, it did kind of sound like you said you were a badass princess. <laughs> <laughs> that was good. But yeah, that's um, my two notes. Just kind of some nice little extra funny but bits in this episode. Yeah, I like I like a few lighthearted moments. I like a little comedy thrown in there. Um and I like Don and, and his delivery, so I'm okay with that. Um, so my notes, we've already talked about Maureen a lot and talking about like how she was not telling everyone right away about what she knew about the planet. Not everyone still knows yet. Penny knows, but they don't know Penny knows. John knows. Uh, Hiroki knows, uh, from the, which he already knew kind of at the same time she did, um, or at least knew something was happening based on his observations. Um I liked and I don't know if I'm just not seeing it. I know we've seen like the robot in his face. He gets the angry red face when he turns into bad mm-hmm. robot and it goes back to those nice soft whitish blue lights when he's like in safe mode that I think you called it earlier. But did you I think for some reason in this episode and I must have been missing it in other episodes maybe it was because it was more prevalent I feel and more in my face with it how the different shapes of those lights, how they kind of rotated on a space that uh, he wasn't quite making like a smiley face with it, but how there were different mm, yeah. um, angles and different, like how the little circles and things were like spinning on his mm-hmm. face. And it seemed to be like in a different mode that he was in. It's like he was trying to make facial expressions with what he had. That's kind of showing his emotion to an extent. Yeah. And even, even Penny pointed it out b- right before the whole meltdown with Angela. She's like, it looks like he's trying to smile. So I, th- I, I just didn't know if that was something that like, Hey, ding dong. He's been doing this the entire time that he's been uh, on the show, or if it was just more noticeable because they, they show his face a lot in this one, I feel. Yeah. Up close. I haven't noticed it much except for that point where uh, um, Penny kind of pointed it out, or mm-hmm. Judy pointed it out. Mm-hmm. Um, I was like, oh, yeah, I, I kind of see it. Um. Um, and then the last note that I have that we haven't already talked about was. I mean, we talked about the scene where John and Will are placing those memorial rocks, but I really liked how they kind of cut it with this montage while Angela's talking about the attack and what happened and what she remembers and how her husband died. And then they're going, you know, cutting between her talking about it and her voice overlapping as as Will and John are placing those rocks. And I thought that was kind of made the moment just a little bit more powerful and made more of an impact, I think, than if she was just if they had stayed with her and Dr. Smith in that room telling that story. So I really liked that, that moment. It really kind of made you think of yourself, of the impact of what happened. So I really liked how they did that. So that's all my notes. Okay. So now we are going to get a word from our second sponsor of the evening. Yeah. So our second sponsor, we've been talking about it for a few weeks now and it is Lauk's Leatherwork. So if you're in the the market for a handcrafted belt, some wallets, or anything made of some nice leather, um, check out uh, Lauk's Leatherworks. You can find them at etsy.com slash shop slash Lauk's Leatherworks. We'll have that information in the show notes. And uh, if you decide to uh, check these guys out, we've got a promo code right now. It's Strange2018. You'll get $5 off anything you buy. So like Rima and I, like we're talking, concert season's coming up. <laughs> you want that badass wallet to show like at the concert, be like, hey, are you 21? You're like, yeah, I am. If I had a leather wallet, would I be 21? 
<laughs> get in there and get your drinks. And if you have a custom order, I don't know if he'll do it. I'm sure he will. But if you want some nice leather pants for concert season, just give him an email at dlauks at lauksleatherworks.com. And make sure you use that promo code STRANGE2018. Sweet. Thanks. I That would be awesome. Definitely uh, some leather pants for concert season and a nice new wallet would be great. I'm always happy to be carded. <laughs> at, at my age, but <laughs> what about yeah, you, Sean? It was, was kind of like at, at like the age of twenty five. You're like, oh, really? And I've Damn never it. really been that guy. I haven't really cared that much. But at some point, I started realizing, like, wait a minute, they're not carding me anymore. I, and I always say it's because of my beard. That's the only yeah. thing I have. Not the fact that I'm losing hair or <laughs> turning gray or any of the other fun stuff. It's a good beard, by the way. Thanks. Got it, got it, got the beard game is strong. I like it. Yeah, I, I I almost get a little offended whenever if I go into a place where you gotta be 21 or, or if I order a drink and they don't card me, I kind of look at them and give them a look like, you're gonna card me? You know, I'm, <laughs> I'm a little offended. Not that I'm like way beyond the age or anything, but I'm just kind of like, you know, hey, you know, g- just make me feel good. Just <laughs> let me have my moment. Anyway, thanks for that. We're going to be checking them out. Five bucks is five bucks, man. Heck yeah. You can go get you a couple of shakes at Sonic for half price during happy hour. So, all right. So a news item that we have for tonight. This is from Deadline.com. A little bit of Stranger Things uh, news for you guys out there uh, hankering for some Stranger Things news. Uh, So Penguin and Random House will partner with Netflix on a worldwide publishing deal for books based on the critically acclaimed Netflix original series Stranger Things, Deadline has learned. The first two titles set for a release this fall will be a behind-the-scenes companion book and a hardcover gift book for young readers. Those two books will be followed next spring by a Stranger Things prequel novel written by author Gwenda Bond about Eleven's mother and and the MK Ultra program. Additional titles for both adults and young readers will arrive later in 2019. So this fall's companion book will be titled Stranger Things World Turned Upside Down, the official behind-the-scenes companion. The as-yet-untitled gift book will offer advice, wisdom, and warnings from the Stranger Things world. Uh, The fall arrival of the first two books might tide over fans of the Duffer Brothers' supernatural Netflix hit until season three arrives, which most likely will be sometime early-ish 2019. I can't wait for it. I know that'll be super fun. And I I love that how they're going to have some books out there because there's so many young fans, you know, of the series. There's, you know, some uh, young adults around the same age as like Will um, and the rest oh, yeah, of yeah. them that, you know, this would be really great. You know, let's pick up some books again. You know, I, had, I don't know if we've seen a big surge in reading like we did with Harry Potter back in the day, you know, where everybody was picking up books and um Hopefully everyone will be pick, picking up some books again for some more Stranger Things stuff. I'm excited. I'm learning. Um, excited to learn about Eleven's mom. I think there's a lot of story there. That'll be interesting. Yeah, uh, that'd be kind of cool. Almost as like a, a graphic novel too, if they wanted to try and go that route. That would be super fun. Lots of ideas. I think that that are out there and have potential that have anything to do with that whole uh, universe. So I'm excited. Okay, that's it for the news. So you want to take this first message that we have from the Resolute with our listener feedback? Yep. So this first one comes from Jennifer Hollander. So I finished the season and it's debatable, but this may be my favorite episode. 
It had so many good things. The best was Don. Crap, is that his name? It is Don. <laughs> uh, finding the real Dr. Smith's name badge and stuff, I was disgusted every time she showed up on screen until this point. I get it. A show needs a villain. It creates a good story, blah, blah, blah. But I just needed someone to know she was a villain. Otherwise, it just starts to make all the other characters look like idiots after constant villain interference, and no one is the wiser. Weren't these people picked to start a colony? They must not test for street smarts. <laughs> I love that Will and his dad built the rock monument together and that the robot stood idly by waiting to help. I think Will really needed that memory and connection with his dad. I felt like Penny should have let the guy die under the fuel tanker. <laughs> she may have a caring heart and a good medical caregiver, but at the end of the day, surviving sometimes means making decisions for the greater good of the people. She just doesn't have that maturity yet. I think this makes her just as selfish as Don was for wanting money for the fuel. Selfish for different reasons, but selfish nonetheless. I was pumped all the way through this episode because you're starting to see the tide turn a bit, and now that there has to be great stuff coming in the next few episodes. And then it happens. Will makes his poor best friend walk the plank. What the hell? It caught me completely off guard and left me feeling empty after all the excitement. I have so much more to say about the show, but I don't want to start bleeding into other episodes. Hope everyone enjoys the rest of the season as much as I did. Oh, I love that feedback. That's uh, Great message. Great message. Jennifer doesn't pull punches, and that's why I like reading what she has to say. Because she'll tell you. And yeah, she <laughs> she's finished the season, so yeah, she's got to be careful about what she says. I like it. Uh, so we have a couple of emails. The first one that we have says, Hi guys, I love the podcast. Here are my thoughts for episode six. Number one, in the original Lost in Space, Maureen uh, mostly prepared meals and organized stuff. The reboot has Maureen 2.0 as an aerospace engineer checking weather and planet conditions from space without assistance. I like her portrayal of the modern woman. What do you think? Um, number two, we'll come back to these in a second. Number two, have you noticed that Maureen and John uh, can communicate effectively on everything except their marriage. I noticed she asked his advice on telling everyone about the planet's condition. He said he would support any decision she made, just like a work colleague would. If talk turns to personal issues, they clam up. Number three, I like the silly planning Penny made to get VJ to pretend and save and kiss her at the waterfall that dried up unknown to her. Don't you think she read VJ's poem beforehand since she had it all this time? It wasn't sealed, so I can't believe she didn't look at what he tried to keep secret. Being nosy is what Penny does. Remember the opening scene, snooping on mom and dad talking about the planet? Number four, in the original series, the Jupiter 2 became lost in space because of an accidental stowaway, Dr. Smith. The Jupiter 2 was designed to hold six passengers. Dr. Smith's weight and other problems caused it to go off course. I'm curious to see how all these people from the other Jupiters will fit in one ship. Also, which Jupiter gets the fuel? Number five, loved how Don got Judy to stick her head out the emergency hatch in the chariot and yell while music played uh, to the envy of Diane riding in Victor's chariot. Oh, good job for knowing her name. Uh, Don brings out the best in Judy. There was an implied romance between the two in the original series. Maybe they will share a kiss as Penny and VJ in this series. After all, Judy is 18. Darnell. Wow. Some really great thoughts there, Darnell. Let's start with number one. Um, do we like Maureen's portrayal of the modern woman in this reboot? What do you think? Yeah, I don't have, I mean, this is one of those things that you can't be like, no, I wish she just stayed in the kitchen and cook because, <laughs> you know, this isn't the fifties. Right. Um, but yeah, no, it's I different. think, I think 
it's it's definitely kind of uh, shows like how society is today. Like back, I think this was like in the fifties and sixties. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, that's like Leave It to Beaver. Like that was kind of like, I mean, this was this was just a, a family in the fifties and sixties, but in a future where you know that was just you know how the roles were at the time. Um, nothing wrong with that. I mean, there's a lot of great stay at home moms now. Um, that kind of, that's what their jobs do and they love doing that. And then there's people who are kind of like the working mom who, you know, loves to do, you know, aerospace engineering or doctors or all kinds of different things. So absolutely. um, I don't, I don't think there'd be anything bad if there was a family that they showed that that was their dynamic. Um, I mean, it's just, it's just different kind of, uh, family dynamics. Absolutely. And and definitely shows in that time in this era when the original Lost in Space aired, times were different. Not, I'm not going to talk about good or bad. I'm certainly not going into this whole debate or anything, but I think that it's just a reflection of the times, same as a lot of the shows are today are a reflection of the times of a modern woman who has can have the children, can have a great career, be smart, be successful, and, and be a total package. Uh, Maureen has her faults. She, you know, is not perfect, but you know, she's able to to pull off a lot of things, and she is a good mom on top of it. I think, you know, uh, and cares about her family and her kids. So I think that it's just a, a, a you know a modern look, but at the same time, the difference between then and now, I think, is you know today there's a choice. If you want to stay at home and be with your kids and be a homemaker and be a, a mom and do that full time, and that's your choice, that's a wonderful choice. Um, if you want to have a career and have children or make those choices, if it's your choice, I am totally behind it. I don't care what you do. If you're happy and it's your choice to do that, do it and run with it and be happy. Live and let live is what I say. Um, number two, have you noticed that Maureen and John can communicate effectively on everything except their marriage? I have noticed that they, they get along really great when they're talking about like logistics and Mm. decisions and things that have to be, you know, made. And he supports her. He supported her when she was running off on her one woman mission to go find out what the hell is happening to the planet. You know, he, he was supportive of that. So I, yeah, I think that's good. It's a shame they can't take that team effort and put that in incorporated into their marriage a little bit more instead of like colleagues. What do you think? Yeah, I think, I mean, all the stuff that they communicate well and all that's based on facts, their marriage is based on emotion. No, and I don't think true. one of them really have a great way of dealing with that. That is true. Yeah. It's, they probably work better when they take that emotion out of it. You're right. Mm. So what do we think about Penny? Do you think she snooped and read that poem before she read it with BJ? Uh, no, because I mean, her interaction when she read it seemed kind of like the first time seeing it. So yeah. um, I would probably say not. I agree. It seemed like a pretty genuine emotion. And it really, you know, I thought it was super corny and cheesy. The poor guy's a horrible poet. Again, yes, yeah. I realize he was plummeting to his death, he thought. So, you know, hard to be creative in that moment. But uh, it certainly struck a chord with her and she felt it in the moment. So I felt that was a pretty genuine reaction. Um, and when that happened, uh, what do you think about which Jupiter gets the fuel? And I think it just, it, it really depends on which ones are probably the best, like not as damaged, but you know, if they have like a reserve and a, a full tank of gas, I couldn't, they split it up. Couldn't they put a, like get four ships and put a fourth of a tank in each. It's true. Um, yeah. It's really just whatever the, just above the minimal amount to get a ship to the resolute is probably what you would say you'd want to do. I think that it's important to know your mileage. 
Yep. What, what kind of mileage does that Jupiter get? How much fuel? You know, we should how probably far wait. To the next fueling station. Are they going to know how close the Resolute is? They should probably wait till it's right above them so they can take off and and use as uh, less fuel as possible to get there. Um, but yeah, they should be able to divide it up. I don't know if it's important if they need to just fuel one and have it full to capacity and, and have the most space worthy Jupiter. I don't know what kind of shape the others are in. We know about the Robinsons, but I don't know about the other ships and how space worthy and how much damage there are. Could be just how many, if you've got five ships and only two are good to go, well, let's get all the resources and folks that we can on that one and let's go. Um, hopefully we'll find out more about that. They'll talk about that hopefully in the future. Um, let's see the number five. Did we, I think that was just a point that he was trying to make, but I, I, I don't know. I agree. I think that there was that in the movie too. Did you watch, I can't remember. Did you watch I, the I've lost in space movie? Mm-hmm. Okay. I've never they, seen the movie or the original TV show. Okay. There was, uh, was horrible, horribly bad, but horribly good at the same time that that movie was, there was also an implied romance and there was some of that flirtation on Don's side where Judy was like, I ain't got time for you. I got serious shit to do. And he was totally flirting with her. And there was a lot of that happening as well um, by the end of it. Awesome. Yeah, Thanks, definitely, Darnell. Definitely see there's going to be some fireworks between uh, Penny and VJ. Oh, yeah. It's, and it's, uh, Don and uh, Judy. Oh, absolutely. I Yeah, they're, they're definitely that typical, you know, where he's, you know, this roguish character and she's that serious one, you know, opposites attract and sparks and passion flying um so yeah that'll be that'll be fun all right so our last email comes from steve and says i wanted to comment that lost in space is the only show that i literally binged watch in one day the day it came out i don't know if it just hooked me that well or it was just the right day for it I loved it so much. I've been loving the slow rewatch. So many things that I missed in the first watch. I did not notice that the robots hampered on the wall and the Robinsons were here until you mentioned it. And upon another watch of the episode, thank you so much for your podcast. Love both takes that you bring to it. Can't wait for all the future podcasts that you two will do. I will probably watch just about anything with you. Oh, thanks, Steve. And I totally didn't leave that in there on purpose either. I, I, Well, I'm just going to say the next show that we're thinking about watching is old Judge Judy episodes. So get ready. We're going to break down these trials. All 20 seasons. (laughs) (laughs) For your listening pleasure. Uh, I'm the boss, Applesauce. (laughs) I don't know. I think I've only seen like one or two of those. When she first hit the air, I was all over Judge Judy. Uh, but those things were hot for a couple minutes. I think I know she's still out there, but she is. I don't watch it anymore. It was definitely like the first, you know, handful of episodes. I was like, I like your attitude, <laughs> Judge Judy, and I think I remember that phrase. Oh my goodness! Thanks everyone so much. Thank you, Steve, for that awesome email and for that praise. We're happy that you listen to us and enjoy, and that you care enough to send us in some feedback because I really love getting everyone else's take on the show and and let us know things that we miss or if you think that we're wrong about something, um, tell us we're wrong in a very gentle oh, yeah. manner because I'm in a very uh, fragile state right now with with what's happened to the robot. So yeah, be nice. Please don't be like Sean. Step forward. <laughs> No, we're not going to do that. I'm not going to do that to you, Sean. I promise. I'll never, never make you walk the plank. But thanks, everyone. We really appreciate all the feedback and interaction that we have with you guys. So keep it coming. Yeah. Thanks, everybody. 
All right, so next week we'll be covering the seventh episode from Lost in Space titled Pressurized. So Judy and Don race home across the desert with their precious cargo. John and Marine are dealt a heavy blow. Penny does her best to comfort Will. Oh, no. I, it was so hard not to watch the next one. I almost cheated yeah. on you, uh, Sean, and, and went oh. ahead and watched it. But I didn't because I was like, I have to know what happens next. <laughs> and I didn't. I held back and I just cried and moved on to something else because I, I had to watch something happy. I think I had to watch some puppy videos or something. <laughs> uh, so until then, we're really excited for you to travel with us uh, on the Jupiter 2 while we're traveling through space. You can follow us on Twitter at StrangeTCast. You can like us on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash StrangerTCast. And you can check us out on Instagram at strange underscore, under, uh, strange underscore indeed underscore pod. Absolutely. You can also email us at StrangerThingsCastPod at gmail.com. And you can also find us on the TV Time app. You can find Strange Indeed and a bunch of other great podcasts like the Westworld cast at podcastica.com. Go out and leave a review for Strange Indeed on Apple Podcast. Yes. Love that Westworld cast and love Westworld. Yeah, really great episode episodes this week. Behind. Oh, man. Yeah, I got to get caught up. Get caught up. Well, it's good to binge a little bit, I feel, if you've got a couple episodes in your back pocket. This one from this week, though, that aired. Really, really good. Cool. I'll, and I'll leave it at that, of course. Um, and make sure to check out Sean while we're talking podcasts in his other podcast. The Language of Bromance comes out every Sunday, folks. Not kidding. Not lying. Every Sunday like clockwork. Yep. Over 200 straight weeks. And we actually, our last one, we just did a, a solo review. Uh, so what? If you're curious what we think, check it out. I'm curious what you think we were supposed to chat about that and something happened and 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 we weren't able to have that conversation so we're going to have that conversation my friend but i'm definitely going to go check out uh what you and rich think about solo there's a lot of talk about solo and the fandom right now so we like it did we hate it you'll have to have to listen to find out have to listen and find out (laughs) and and also talking about podcasts this is my last week uh podcasting with jason from the walking dead cast on our legion podcast so tonight is the season finale we're going to talk about that one tomorrow so if you're watching legion and if you haven't my god why are you not because it's so good so if you are check us out on our legion cast at podcastica as well we're having a lot of fun with that show all right well that's our show episode 41 eulogy until next time i'm rima and i'm sean and brendan lowe is strange indeed to do it herself and frankly I was tired of getting yelled at and blamed I don't want to have to be responsible for the chair going over but but you were how how, how did you because I'm a badass princess you're a badass princess what (laughs) no 
No, no, there's a comma. You know, I'm a badass. Yeah. Comma, Prince. Yeah, whatever you say. Yeah, oh, you're welcome, by the way.